My job as a leader is to meet you, is to validate you and try to get your genius turned on. Because here's what I understand. If I get every, if I, if we hire the right people that are good cultural fits and we let them turn on the genius inside of them, we have no problems. everyone, welcome back. I'm your host, Anu Dugal, and this is The 2%, a podcast highlighting women who are breaking barriers and building the businesses of the future. In today's episode, I chat with four-time entrepreneur and ex-investor Amy Arendt of Madison Reed, the beauty company revolutionizing hair coloring. Amy shares how she pivoted her staff and supply chain throughout lockdown to overcome extraordinary challenges and take advantage of unprecedented demand reflects on 2020's silver linings, and leaning into her strengths as a leader. She emphasizes the importance of building a strong company culture, shares her top learnings for founders working to cultivate trust, and why she believes people are everything. Let's get started. Hi, Amy. So great to have you on here today. Where are we finding you and how's your day going? I know it's early on on the West Coast time. Yeah, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. We have two houses and we're living out of our Sonoma house. So we're up in the wine country right now and in the middle of a move from a very large family house in San Francisco to a downsizing condo. So life has been uh, nothing like moving. Nothing like moving in a pandemic. Exactly. Uh, nonetheless. Exactly. Yes. Awesome. Well, as you know, we at Female Founders Fund are huge fans of yours and and everything that you've done with Madison Reed. So I guess to start, would love to just hear a little bit about your background and the journey that led you to build Madison Reed in 2013. Yeah. Uh, so just a little bit. Well, first of all, thanks for being a fan. When you're a founder, you know, so your head's down and you're just executing. So it's always nice to hear that someone is paying attention at all. Yeah. You know, my journey uh, has been kind of an interesting one. Uh, Three-time entrepreneur, then became a VC. And I was actually a VC for uh, six and a half years and opened and ran Mavron's Bay Area office. Mavron was a, is a consumer-only Howard Schultz, Dan Levitan co-founder of early stage venture fund and never had a Bay Area office, was always in Seattle. I did that for six and a half years. It was awesome learned a lot, but was craving to get back into operating. I know that sounds a little crazy, but I really love building teams and taking hard problems and trying to solve them. And then came up with the idea for Madison Reed in 2013 through a lot of sort of personal journey and friends journey in coloring one's hair and the kind of uh, complexity of that, the time demands of that, the lack of transparency in the ingredients. And then got funded and we were off to the races and we launched in the summer of 2014. It took us about a year to obviously make the color, get it in boxes, figure out our business model, had a thousand women in the beta, those kinds of things. So that's the story. And since then, it's been a fantastic, not always easy as startups are not always easy journey. We're uh, doing well. Amazing. Do you want to maybe also share a little bit about how the company works? What are the product offerings and also how those have evolved over time? Yeah, absolutely. So the company has three parts of it. 
that are all connected into, I think, kind of new business model that's emerging for, I think, other consumer companies, which is, we call it omni-channel. I think that's probably familiar to most people, which is meeting the customer wherever they are. And in our case, it's three ways. One is a very large and robust direct-to-consumer online business, which ships a box of permanent hair color and other assorted products. So we sell glosses and uh, touch-ups for um, somebody's hair uh, in between uh, shampoo, conditioner, um, all sorts of things that are uh, what I would call kind of extensions of hair color uh, to a customer's door on any cadence they want. Uh, quickest two weeks and longest is uh, eight weeks. So you self-identify that. We put you through an 18 question quiz and um, we have a very sophisticated algorithm that matches your answers to your recommended shade and your desired look. We wrap all of that around with customer service that are certified licensed colorists that are always on call to you. Uh, and most recently video consultation, which has been a unbelievably fast growing part of our business. So you can book a 15 minute consultation and we will consult through obviously video uh, to help you select a shade or give you tips and tricks. And that part of our business is really growing. And I attribute a lot of that to the Zoom craze. Uh, and so that, that's been interesting. So that business is big, primarily subscribers, has all the pieces of a classic D2C business, supply chain, logistics, operations, and obviously continuing to earn the right to have customers stay with us. And they do for quite a long time. Second part of our business is we have one wholesale partner. So you can, on a retail basis, buy Madison Reed at Alta in all Alta stores and Alta.com. That's been fantastic and blew the doors off those numbers last year as we did in our D2C business. And Alta has been great partners to work with. And then the third leg of the stool is our hair color bars, which think about them as dry bar, but for hair color, we have 32 of them open right now, all over from you know New York City to most recently opening in Seattle, to Arizona, to Florida, Atlanta, the sort of Maryland tri-state corridor there, Northern California, Denver, uh, I'm sure I'm missing, oh, Chicago just opened three stores. So that's going incredibly well. And the important part of that is it's about a 50-50 split between women who want to color at home and women that want to color in a salon. And we have a full service offering of hair color. It is the same color that we apply on your hair. Uh, if you buy it online, it's 60 different shades. So we use technology in the stores to also color match you. These are certified licensed colors to apply the color. And, you know, that business obviously closed during COVID. We experienced like any other fall for wall provider, open, close, open, close, open, close, depending on what states we were in. We are open now 100% and that business is starting to roar again. I mean, it's coming back really quickly, I think quicker than we had thought it would, which is a great thing. And then, you know, that business also has a front of the store that is retail. So think about it as sort of a mini Madison Reed retail experience. And we get a ton of people that just walk in who just want to buy color to take home or instead of a video consultation, they want a live consultation in the store. And then the last part of that is we 
looked at that and saw so much activity during COVID and order online, pick up in store, or people walking in for consultations that we decided to open what we call mini bars. And uh, we have two of those open now and 10 more opening this year. And those are just front of the store. So small store experience, you walk in, there's some technology, there's an assisted sale, an assisted consultation, and those are doing really well as well. So that's, uh, that's what's going on here. Wow, fantastic. So I guess, you know, going back to your founding story, uh, Madison Reed was really founded as a small startup in a, a hair color market that was primarily dominated by two large incumbents, L'Oreal and Clairol. From your perspective, where did you see a unique opportunity to disrupt the, the industry? Where, where did you feel like there was inefficiency or, or room for innovation? Yeah, I'd say that it was across three vectors. The first was product itself. And, you know, I have a belief as a XVC. And the other thing I, I didn't mention is that I am a partner at True Ventures. So they led our series A and have been our investor all through this kind of our largest shareholder. And I am a partner there. So I do still invest. And the reason that I bring that up is that I think pattern recognition from being an investor does give startups, if one of the co-founders or somebody that's in the startup, having that experience is actually quite useful. And I can talk about that a little bit later if you want to. But as far as what we saw in terms of our opportunity to disrupt the industry was really around three things. One is product, and we didn't like the harsh ingredients in other products. And so we have an eat-free formula Uh, that is proprietary to us. And so we thought that the product differentiation was really, really important. Two was the distribution channels. If you wanted to go get a box at Walgreens, you have eight shades versus 60 shades at Madison Reed. So we thought that was very different and technology was super different, right? Clairol or L'Oreal wasn't allowing you to color match, wasn't allowing you to have photo recognition wasn't allowing you to have a predictive algorithm to be able to pick your color. And we have professional salon quality color. And then third thing is the hair color bars are completely different. They're about convenience. So you're in and out in 75 minutes, there's transparency of product and there's different pricing. You know, I would say that a a new, I think you live on the East coast, but my guess is to get one's hair color there uh, is, you know, $200 plus you can go into Westport, Connecticut or Flatiron or Upper East Side hair color bar and get your hair colored for you know $70 and be in and out in 75 minutes. So we think we're just disrupting the entire industry. You touched on COVID a little bit earlier. Would love to hear how the COVID response planning process took place for you and your team. I can imagine, you know, a lot of your manufacturing takes place outside of the United States, China, Italy. What was that experience like for you? Yeah, that was quite an experience. So we make our hair color in Italy. If you remember back, and it seems like it was about 20 years ago, but it was only, I think, about 12 months ago, 13 months ago, Italy was the second hardest hit region right after Wuhan. Unfortunately, it was very close to home about where we manufacture our product. So we understood very quickly that we could have potential supply chain inventory issues. We established an emergency response team at 7 a.m., seven days a week. That continued actually through September. 
We're now just doing it once a week still, believe it or not. And it's more because the real uh, truth of it anew is that in these situations, your problems just change. They never go away. They're just different problems. So I'll walk you through a little bit of that journey. So in the beginning, the problems were all about the fact that we, like any other company that is smart about cash, you know, has inventory that is a certain amount. And in our case, you know, we had, I think, seven weeks on hand or eight weeks on hand or something. Well, uh, let me tell you what happened on uh, March 13th and then March 14th on through, you know, it's still happening. We, not to this extent, but in April and May of last year, we were selling a box of hair color every five seconds. Wow. And so there's just no way, no matter how much inventory you have, that you're going to keep up with that demand. So we went into overdrive and we worked with our manufacturing facilities in Italy. You know, we got pretty sophisticated and kind of said, okay, how can we stay open? Because we have to stay open to keep color coming. And we were able to negotiate with the Italian government to make hand sanitizer for free. So it was kind of a, you know, a wild, what I would call a Hail Mary that worked. We only ran out of eight shades kind of on and off for a month. And so we really had very little disruption. So that was the first problem. Then the second problem was that uh, distribution centers here in the U.S. were just so backed up and they had COVID problems. And so getting a box to somebody was pretty difficult. And so we were able to, we stood up a third DC by ourselves in a month. It's just unheard of. And then in addition to that, we had to shut down all of our stores. And so we had 200 people that were facing having no jobs. Uh, we decided that, you know, we were selling a box of hair color every five seconds. We have a call center that are all the same background as these people working in stores, certified licensed colorist. And so the executive team and I just made the call that we would not furlough anybody, not lay anybody off, but just move everyone to the call center. And so we didn't furlough people or lay anyone off. We moved everyone to the call center. We bought a lot of Google Chromebooks in a short period of time, running around to Best Buy and, you know, trying to get stuff online. It was crazy. It was crazy. So, you know, 200 headsets and Chromebooks went out and people were trained in a 10-day period and they were up and running. 60 of them have remained in the call center because they preferred that job, which was awesome. And then we were able, as stores reopened, to bring back people and now we're in a, we have so many stores. We've opened 21 stores since COVID. You know, right now in the company, we have close to 200 open recs. So what I'm getting at is, you know, we went from a supply chain problem to a distribution problem, to a people issue, and to then store closing, store opening, Northern California in particular, open, close, open, close, open, close. So, you know, we've had to learn how to do staffing in a lean environment. There's been so many lessons learned. And I, you know, I'm humbled in the sense that, you know, it is, does not make me happy that this happened because there was, this was a pandemic and people lost their lives. And there's been lots of tragedy, including internal to Madison Reed. No one lost their lives, but people have lost friends, lots of parents. You know, there's been tragedy. The other side of that is, you know, our business was exploding in the D to C part and the Alta part. Uh, nonetheless, you know, there, these were hard times. And then when you just add the anxiety that your team members have, you know, all of a sudden your kids aren't going to school, they're running around the house, you're on Zoom all day, you're trying to do your job. 
you know, you're getting up at four o'clock in the morning because it's the only time they're still sleeping and you're not, you know, to work. So we've experienced like any other company The you know, we closed HQ. We've experienced something, you know, I've been doing this a long time. This is my fourth company and lots of companies I funded. I don't think I've ever seen anything like this ever in my career. You know, the number of factors, not just to Madison Reed, but in general that have been thrown sure. at people is just extraordinary. And I think to say that I don't even think that companies yet understand the downstream effect of this kind of trauma. I think that it's something we're now spending a ton of time thinking through, understanding when we do reopen HQ, what does that look like? How do we give people some life flexibility? You know, we we put in uh, mental health uh, benefits during the middle of the, or the beginning of this because we got it how much stress and anxiety you know, I mean, none of us knew. Could you walk out of your house? Could you go to a supermarket? Could you like, anyway, it's just, um, it's been an interesting ride. And I think one that downstream, whether it's psychologist will mm-hmm. look at socioeconomic, you know, there's so many pieces in the workplace that I think will be studied about what changed from this. Absolutely. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I guess along those lines, you, you brought up leadership. How did you think about people leadership through this crisis? Any tips, particularly for founders who are working to cultivate trust and, and really find their groove as a leader? Absolutely. I think this is where leaders earn their stripes, right? Like this is when leadership is the most important thing. I believe it's always the most important thing, but it's not always the obvious thing on a daily basis, right? And my tips for people are, you have a culture in your company, you need to align those values with how you behave. You need to give safety and security to people. Um, People are everything. They always have been. They always will be. I don't care how good a kick-ass business model you have. You, It's always about people. And so, you know, I would, the following tips that I would, I would give to people are one, is to find that culture. We did that super early at Madison Reed. Let that be your North Star. It was more economically advantageous for us to let 200 people go. But it wasn't in our cultural values of holding our team safe and realizing, yeah, we're going to have a business again. So we need to step up to the plate. And having done that, I can just tell you, you know, the amazing amount of community that continues to get built, loyalty to the brand, career pathing opportunities. Let's also not forget what happened in June with Black Lives Matter. In the middle of all of this, there was, and I believe that, you know, we were all home in we were all watching the news, right, for a lot of different reasons, you know, uh, an election. And, you know, uh, white people have to reckon with what happened. And I think that within itself was a big world event, then coupled with COVID and coupled with what's happening in the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. I believe deeply in diversity in companies. 53% of every person that works at Madison Reed is BIPOC. 83% are women or 82% women. So we have invested in a incredibly diverse age diversity, ethnic diversity, socioeconomic diversity workforce 
And now that workforce is facing all these things that are all each of them individually life changing <laughs> and now sort of all at once. So I think understanding your workforce, talking to people, we did tons of surveys. We had tons of listening circles. We had tons of, we brought in a DEIB consultant and formed a DEIB committee in the company made up of team members. They just finished their first cohort, 12 of them, and a second cohort is forming. You know, we created a DEIB charter. We decided that we were going to do a diversity, equity, and inclusion internship within the company. Did we let every team member donate in their name $100 to any local effort that was supporting breaking down systemic racism? We gave money back to organizations through donations of boxes that we sold. We needed to not just have words. Words are words. Actions are actions. How people feel about do, when you say you care about them, do you really understand them? Do you care about them? I'll say something that maybe surprised people. Like, what would happen if 2020 was the best year of all for us to all stop? It's about what is most important in life? What is our priorities? How are we in relationship to each other as human beings? And what is it that we want for our world, our children, and each other? And so we've used this as an opportunity to try to, to make, put our culture to work in real ways. And, you know, we've done some great things. We've stumbled like everybody else does, but I think it has created a very close knit community that I know will serve us well as the company continues to mature. That's amazing. I guess along those lines, how would you describe that company culture at Madison Reed? And, and how did you think about building this? And why was it important to you? So I've had a deep belief, and this is probably one of the reasons why I left being a VC and wanted to get back into operating, because I have a deep belief that culture does eat strategy any day. And I've had a deep belief that diverse cultures and what I would call cultures that are invested in team members' lives have better outcomes. I think they just do. How I think about all of this is that, you know, our culture is built on five core values, trust, love, responsibility, courage, and joy. And we act those things out um, every single day. And I think what happened during COVID was that we needed to have be courageous, right? We needed to step up. And in addition, we needed to be loving and to understand the vast number of uh, experiences that our team members were having. You know, we obviously had to run a responsible company, but we also had to be joyous and we celebrated a lot. Like we had a blowout Zoom Christmas party and brought, we had a concert, a virtual concert that surprised <laughs> people with Michael Franti and people went nuts. And, you know, we continually had, you know, surprises delivered to their door on a weekly basis. And, you know, we just did things. I saw the people in the company get closer, believe it or not. So I think that, you know, everyone has different values. Everyone plays those out. And then the last thing that I'll, I'll mention to you is we've hired a ton of people sight unseen, right? Like you're not meeting people right now. You know, you're not bringing them in from someplace. And this has also opened this opportunity to have more remote uh, work staff, team members, sure. right? We've let, you know, our team members have moved all over the country. People that used to be at HQ are living in Miami now and Park City now and Chicago now, or they decided to go 
with parents that, you know, have issues or whatever that is. And we're not going to change that. We're not going to change that back. And so it's not like every person's going to roll back into HQ one day and it's all going to be the same. We have a diverse and dispersed workforce. So these are tools that aren't going to just, you know, these tools aren't going to get rusty. These tools are ones that you need to hone now to, to run a modern workforce. People have desires and aspirations that they didn't think they were allowed to pursue before. And this is why I go back to, um, you know, what is the definition of wisdom in life? It's holding two conflicting thoughts in your mind at the same time. And the two conflicting thoughts are what a horrible year, what a tragic year, and what a year for revelations for people to look at some silver linings. And I, we've taken the approach, like you want to get up and move to Florida and that's better for your family, go, go do you. And we'll, you have a job, you have security, you got to come back every once in a while, you know, got to keep doing your job. And if you want to have a, a West Coast company and you work on East Coast hours, good on you. Um, but, but the truth is that it is taken, I think it's allowed people to have in a bizarre way, a certain amount of liberation that, you know, I think will serve us well and it'll pose problems, like real things, but we'll get through it. Yeah, no, that's such a great way to describe, you know, everything that's happened in the last year. You know, one one question for you is we, you know, obviously come across a lot of female founders and I think a lot of them are are looking and thinking about how they could really lead with empathy and reframe to your point culture within an organization that they're building. So, do you have any advice for founders that are kind of early in their startup yeah. journey? Yeah. I, I often try to mentor people by saying this, you don't build a company and a product and then insert culture. You build culture right at the same time. It is the soul of the company, the way that I'd say it is like every human being has a personality. You have internal values that drive you that you know, and that is the North Star of your life, right? You, some people might rank you know, loyalty higher than, you know, responsibility, or you could just go down the list of what we would describe as values. So if you take that analogy and say, well, every company has a personality, every company has a soul. It's usually some deep, you know, some kind of jumpstart from the founders crazy, as I call it. And that's good crazy. So, you know, what I tell people all the time is you can't run a company and then two years later, well, let me define culture. It's already there. And if you're not in control of it, and if you don't hire people against what those values are, you have a problem. So what I try to tell people all the time, like Madison Reed's cultural values were defined in the first week we were in business. They were defined at the same time we were formulating hair color. They are as important as your physical product, your SaaS platform, your technology. They are who you are. And what I try to explain to people is it is how you teach people to behave and it is how you screen people about whether they fit or not to hire them and to give them the guardrails. You know, it's like parenting, a certain amount of like, this is house rules, right? And what I try to tell people is this is house rules. And then the other part of it is, of course, empathy is the number one leading factor of a good leader, I believe. It is the ability to stand in someone else's shoes, meet them where they are. Good leaders don't say, 
hey, Anu, come meet. This is my standard. Come meet me. My job as a leader is to meet you, is to validate you and try to get your genius turned on. Because here's what I understand. If I get every, if I, if we hire the right people that are good cultural fits and we let them turn on the genius inside of them, we have no problems. I love that. That's great. Such valuable advice. So we're going to close out with a couple of lightning round questions. So just feel free to answer whatever comes to mind. I'm bracing myself. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) What gets you out of bed in the morning? Two quick things. First, my family. A company's named after my daughter and my wife is Claire, so my family. And number two, my team members. What do you do on a daily basis to grow as a leader? Meditate and work out fitness-wise. What is one thing you find to be true that most people would disagree with? Love always wins. What is the best piece of advice ever given to you? People don't want to just follow your head. They want to follow your heart. And they want to see that your heart is accessible to them. Great. Those are all fantastic answers. And it's been such a pleasure having you, Amy. Always so inspiring. Anything you want to plug or announce here? Just that I really want to applaud you for what you've done. There needs to be more work here. You and your organization and your fund has done great things to go out of the way to make sure that women continue to get funded. And we, as women, we stand on each other's shoulders. So we must lift each other up. I really thank you for the work you're doing in creating the new leaders that are going to take us to the next level. Oh, thank you. Well, it's been such a pleasure. Where can our listeners find you or Madison Reed online? Madison, M-A-D-I-S-O-N dash read, R-E-E-D dot com. And I have a outward facing email, which is my initials, A-E at madison-reed.com. If people want to email me, go ahead and do it. I probably can't do a lot of phone calls, but I read all of my emails before I go to bed. I never let leave one unopened or unanswered. So if you have questions or just want to ask me something, email me and I'll get right back to you. Fantastic. This was such a pleasure, Amy. And we are so excited to see what happens next with Madison Reed. It sounds like you guys have so many, you know, really, really exciting things coming up. So thank you for taking time out of your day to do this with us. Really appreciate it. I'm super honored and thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to The 2% for today's episode featuring Amy Arrett of Madison Reed. Amy is an incredibly thoughtful and tactical leader, and I hope you took away as much from this conversation as I did. Stay in touch with us on Instagram at Female Founders Fund and on Twitter at FQVC. And for those of you building the next billion dollar businesses, we'd love to hear from you. Send all pitch decks to pitches at femalefoundersfund.com and we'll be in touch. And finally, if you're interested in working at one of our 45 plus female founded startups, explore our job opportunities at jobs.femalefoundersfund.com. Make sure to subscribe to The 2% on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening. And stay tuned for our next episode with powerful women founding and funding the future. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. Until next time, I'm Anu Dougal, and this has been The 2%.